0: This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. It's 2020. Wow. And so we wanted to start the year off right, and so we have a special gift for you. And so we invite you to reach underneath your chair and find it. There it is. You've just gotten paid for coming to church. That's a great deal, isn't it? You are welcome. Just don't look too closely. (laughs) So we celebrate the new year with you with this $100 bill, and the only favor I would ask is that you not put these into the offering bag when it's passed (laughs) later on. (laughs) Now, how many of you, for just a brief moment, thought, wow, Maybe, uh, maybe that's a real $100 bill. I remember when this lithographer did this, and he, and he redid it, and, and, uh, and it was, some of you will remember Jack Benny. They say, oh, that looks like Jack Benny on the $100 bill, and it's supposed to be Benjamin Franklin. But there's other issues with this bill as well. Um, it's estimated that $150 million of counterfeit money is circulating in the United States like right now. And so bank employees are trained to touch and to tilt, to look at, to look through uh, a bill in order to identify whether or not it's authentic. And so color shifting ink, things they look for, there's no raised printing, the borders are blurry, no watermark, those security threads now that they put in the bills, if those aren't there, if the series dates don't match, then you know that you've got a fake bill. And interestingly, the first step of their training is that they'll take an employee and put them in a room and just have them count money, authentic money, so that they get the feel for what is real. So that then, when what is inauthentic, when it comes across their fingertips, they know that something is wrong. Now, my point this morning is not to tease you with fake money, (laughs) Um, but to get you thinking about the value of authenticity Now, if this was a real $100 bill, you could do some things with it. Right now, all you could really do with it is try to pass it today, and you might get thrown into the Hooskow or something, right? But it doesn't, it it gives the perception, it gives, it projects that there's some value here, but in fact, there's no value here at all. And the more we experience, and so the more that we experience the Christian life, uh, the more that we understand the dynamics of it, the marks of it, well then, the better that we will know when our life has has gotten away from that and is amiss from that. But also, we are going to be projecting the value that has been invested in us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because His glorious riches, the New Testament says, have been invested in us. But unfortunately, far too many of us at different times and Christians, they, they, they really live what might be called a counterfeit Christian life. And so we're starting a new message series today And it's in the book of 1 John. And and in this series, we are going to touch and tilt and look at and look through uh, the lens of 1 John to identify the marks of an authentic Christian. And there's, there's seven that we'll look at in the series. The first one today is transformation, and then love for God, discernment of truth and error, hope in Christ's return, sacrifice through generosity and prayer, confidence in being forgiven and dependence on Christ's care and answered prayer. So we invite you to be a part of the series as we go through January and and February. And we look at these marks and we uh, try to apply them to our lives and live out the value that the Lord has placed in us. And John, the disciple turned apostle, he is the perfect guide uh, for our reflection. Now the New Testament reveals that John was something of a force of nature uh, he referred, Jesus referred to John and his brothers as, as Boanerges. Um, James and John were Boanerges, which means sons of thunder in Greek. And uh, I remember years ago when I was in seminary, I had a classmate who led a Christian heavy metal rock band called Boanerges, and I didn't like the band, but I thought that's a great name for a Christian rock band actually, Sons of Thunder. Um, and, and John reflected this. He lived with a sense of urgency when Jesus invited him to become a fisher of men, it says he immediately uh, left the boat and he left his father's uh, business, which was probably quite profitable there on the Sea of Galilee, and just immediately followed after Jesus. And we know that Jesus and John knew each other. Before, that this was not the first time that they had encountered each other when Jesus came and said, follow me and become a fisher of men. In fact, Salome, John's mother, was very likely we think was sisters with mary and so they were in fact cousins and so you know uh, jesus knew what he was getting into when he invited john to be one of his followers and to just and to go out and to change the world Um, john was passionate john was impetuous Uh, if you remember some of the stories from the new testament uh, he asked uh, jesus to rain down fire on a samaritan village um there was another time when someone was casting out demons but wasn't a part of their group and so he said you need to stop that person so there was just a lot of audacity with him uh, and also including the fact that he asked to sit at jesus's right hand in eternity gives you an idea of what john was like he was prone to um, anger prone to impudence but walking with the lord jesus changed him he witnessed firsthand the miraculous life death and resurrection of our lord he was the last disciple to die uh, we think being martyred and he was about 100 years old when he did that and so the decades after the church was formed uh, in about 32 33 a.d i mean this was a long period of leadership uh, for john with the church and he was a pastoral leader but he was also a writer and he wrote a gospel he wrote three letters we're looking at one and he wrote the book of revelation and first John, this writing, like the author, is direct, it's authoritative, it's black and white, it is this or that. I mean, this book is not like you know an old man slipping into a warm bath, right? It doesn't give you. There's a lot of joy here and there's just incredible encouragement, but it also just sort of slaps us back and forth. Unfortunately, John kind of holds us up while he is slapping us. And so As clearly as anyone could, John lays out the marks of an authentic Christian. And arguably, no one knew Jesus better than John. Humanly speaking, no one knew Jesus better than John the apostle. John saw Jesus in every kind of situation, publicly, privately, when he was popular, when he was unpopular, when he was under stress, when he was relaxing on a Sabbath day. John was one of only three disciples that Jesus chose to be a part of his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and they were witness to some events that other disciples were not invited into. One was the transfiguration, which is a very important thing to remember for this message today, and as he starts his book, where he witnessed uh, Jesus, this man, when his divinity shone through, and it reflected these two natures in one person, a real human being, and also he was truly God. He was also there when Jesus was in Gethsemane, Uh, praying with all of his life, for all of his life, with, you know, sweating drops of of blood. John sat at Jesus' side at the Last Supper. He was there at the foot of the cross. Um, He was there when Jesus looked down and he consigned his own mother to John's care. Literally, he said, woman, your son. I mean, he handed off his mother, Mary, whom he loved, uh, for John to care for. John was the first man to arrive at the empty tomb. He was the first to recognize Jesus risen from the dead. And he witnessed Jesus' ascent into heaven, recorded in Acts chapter 1. And so uh, John was in a position not only to witness the Lord Jesus Christ, but to receive from him. And John received his love, and it changed him. His go- in his gospel, he has this interesting device, literary device, where he doesn't, when he's talking about himself, he doesn't use his name. But he, he speaks of the one Jesus loved, uh, the one Jesus loved, five times throughout the gospel of John because this was his experience. And so what better person to write about living an authentic life formed by Christ's life? And what better person to warn Christians about counterfeits all around? Now, as John wrote 1 John, he was deeply concerned about a heresy. It was a false teaching uh, that actually had its roots in Greek thought, but it was emerging uh, and, and forming into, it was in the first century, forming in, into actually a philosophical system um, that happened within the church and it undermined the authenticity of Jesus's life and his message. It was called, it's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism originated about the first century, sometime mid-century, and it happened, as I said, among Christian groups. Taken from the Greek word, one of the Greek words for knowledge, gnosis, Gnostics believe that human beings are trapped we are trapped in, evil, in the evil material universe that blocks the divine spark. And so through enlightenment, uh, people can emanate to a higher awareness of their divinity and they can join God on the other side. So it's kind of a God-making kind of belief. And since matter is evil, matter is evil, it's lower, it's of this God, not God called the demiurge, as Gnostics called it. Jesus didn't have a real body. He had a seeming body. And this came, gave rise to ideas of uh, called docetism, or docetic. Like, he, he seemed to have a body. For all the world, it looked like a body, but he was actually not in a human body because human bodies are evil. Um, and that, he just, he took on divinity at his baptism. So the idea is that he was kind of this ghost-like figure, and then at his baptism, when the dove came down, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, at that point, he became God. But he never became the God-man. And since the body was evil, as they believed, it didn't matter what you did with it. And so Gnostics could be, in the way that they behaved, could be all the way from buffeting their body and denying it things that a body really does need, an ascetic approach, to those who are just profligate. They just, it didn't matter, since the body is evil, it doesn't matter what you do with it. And so you would find a whole range of behaviors amongst these folks. But at its core, and this is is why, I mean, and this is important for us to understand as we understand 1 John. Gnosticism questioned reality. Gnosticism questioned the really real. The question is, are our experiences, are our thoughts and our sensations, are they real? Or are they just constructs of our minds? Is my reality, what is right here, and there's nothing on the other side of these walls, but my mind is creating this reality. And part of the reality is I'm preaching an incredible message and you're all loving it, right? And so I've just got this construct coming from my mind, right? And so the question becomes, well, what is the real really real? Do we just live in some simulation, right? Just some kind of like a computer simulation. And you know, for all the world, we think that it's real, but in fact, it's not. Now, Eastern religions talk about Maya And so they see uh, the everyday world as an illusion. Maya is an illusion. It keeps the soul and consciousness trapped in the ignorance of everyday life. And so the goal of the spiritual path is to wake from illusion and to see reality. Now, in the movie The Matrix, which some of you, I'm sure, saw, um, there's this line from Morpheus to Neo. Um, And Morpheus says to Neo, he says, You take the blue pill and the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe, right? So you can just sort of stay in unreality. But if you take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. So I can show you what is actually the really real. There's actually a lot of Gnostic themes uh, in The Matrix and actually a lot of movies. And so are we trapped in matter? And are we just released by enlightenment, by higher awareness, by gnosis? Gnosticism attacked the very notion of authenticity, according to truth. That just it undermined the whole idea that there can be a true thing and there can be an authentic reflection of that. John was eyewitness to the real humanity to the deity of Jesus Christ. And he knew that if this foundational doctrine, if it was removed, well then Christianity would go down with it. And so this is the bottom floor. This is what uh, the truth system of Christianity is actually built upon. And so there's an urgency to his message. Jesus defines the really real. What is authentic? What is not authentic? And transformation is possible truth can be known, sins can be forgiven, God answers prayer, Jesus will return, and God's love is the strongest force on earth. And so 1 John is essentially an inventory for us as Christ followers to have complete confidence in our identity in Christ by looking at these marks and evaluating our lives and seeing if the marks of an authentic Christian life are true for us. And the first is transformation, and simply put, spiritual transformation is the ongoing alignment of our attitudes, our actions, our character, with the person of Jesus Christ. Authentic transformation. Now we live in a culture that loves transformations. When something transforms, when something changes shape, uh, when something changes appearance, it gives us hope that well, maybe we can change too. Maybe this can happen in our lives as well. And a quick scan of reality TV shows shows that they have identified just how attractive this is for people to consider. Um, some of the shows like Ugly Duckling, or Intervention, you know, breaking out of drug addiction, or The Biggest Loser, or Extreme Makeovers. All of these promise transformation. And then there's shows like The Dog Whisperer, Hoarders, and Hell's Kitchen, that promise that even dogs and houses and restaurants can be transformed as well. Now, as fun and compelling as these external transformations can be, they are but child's play compared to transformations of a person's heart, of a person's nature, of a person's character. Internal transformations require uh, the most powerful force on earth to affect, and that is a relationship with the really real, the Lord Jesus, a relationship where we know him and we experience his love. That's what transforms us. And so an authentic Christian is transformed. And the first area of transformation is beliefs, which how you think about Christ. And that is that Jesus is the word of life. Jesus is the word of life. He's the word. He's the wisdom. He embodied God, and he's the one who can turn death into life. Let's look at 1 John one. 1. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our eyes have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. So this is very carefully just eyewitnesses and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make, your joy, to make our joy complete. And so if you embody this, if you embrace this, then our joy will be completed with your joy. Now John's aim is to set Jesus Christ in the flesh before them. John studied Jesus' manner of life. He heard his teaching. He noted his impact. He had firsthand experience of with Christ's human body he actually touched Christ before and after the resurrection and here he makes three claims number one Jesus was from the beginning in him eternity entered time the eternal God entered our world all right so eternal God was sent to inhabit a human body God in a bod but he came from eternity and he entered time in order to do that that was part of becoming a human being secondly Jesus's humanity is real it's not ascetic, it's not seeming, it's, it's real. And he came as the word of life, that is that he came as the one who can change death into life. Now John says before us that the incarnation, the entrance of Jesus into history, he, he, he presents us as a definitive revelation of God and it is central to the Christian faith. I mean, this is the God that we worship. If a person rejects Jesus as God among us, well, then fellowship is not possible if we're talking about Christian fellowship. Well, we can have friendships, we can do things together, but there is is something that must bind our thought as a community. And what, what John identifies is having the right belief, embracing the right things about who Jesus Christ is. There was a Gallup poll that recently found that half of those identifying themselves as Christians, evangelical Christians, they believe that every religion worships the same God. Well, I mean, according to this test, it's true, not every religion worships the same God. And so there is, there is a humanity to Christianity that is so important uh, in, ter- in combining with the deity. The whole message, the whole construct of Christianity has to do with the God-man and the things that he sacrificed and what he has done on our behalf. So John says, that which was from the beginning, that which we heard, we've seen, just very physical, visual sensation We looked at, our hands touched, this is proclaiming concerning the word of life. And so if someone denies this, like some of these Gnostic adherents, well then you can be friends with them, but they're not actually in the faith. So we need to remove any Gnostic notions um, that we might have to pass the test of transformation. Failing to confess sin is a Gnostic notion because what we do in the body matters. Gnostics didn't think it did refusing to work for the poor, refusing to care about the dispossessed is a Gnostic notion that somehow enlightenment can replace the real needs of human beings. Denying a person can change in the flesh is a Gnostic notion that real change only happens in our minds. And so Jesus lived a perfect life in real flesh to show how we can live abundant lives, this this abundant lifestyle death into life. And John proclaims what he's seen and heard so that we can join in real fellowship with the Father and the Son and experience real joy, which would, which would complete his. And so the mark of an authentic Christian is transformed beliefs about the word of life, fully human, fully divine. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We must get that right. Another area of transformation is behavior, our behaviors. And John Describes this as walking in light. In 1 John 1.5, this is the message we've seen from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And so we see John, it's very much an either or binary proposition. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, there were some who claimed to be enlightened within these communities, intellectually and spiritually, that they were enlightened, but their lives did not reflect that. They were practicing sin. They were walking in darkness, as he would put it. But there was this, this counterfeit notion to it. It was almost like a kind of a Jedi mind trick where it's like, well, actually, I am doing good things. I'm doing the right things. I am walking in light, but they weren't because what we do in this life it matters. There has, to be, there has to be a lining up of our behavior with our profession. Because God is light, he's glorious, holy, and pure. The Lord Jesus Christ came, took on human flesh in order to offer a way for us to have a relationship with the Holy God, which meant that our sin had to be dealt with. And he has made a way for that. Darkness, that's the opposite of the Christian life. It represents a Christless life, a life that's lived before we come to faith in Christ, just stumbling around. Now, the New Testament reveals that we're called out of darkness into light. You were once darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Live as, live as children of light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so if you claim to know him, then what John is saying, prove it by your behavior. Words are tested by works. And so transform behavior, walking in light, it requires something a good Gnostic would never do, and that's confess sin. Without repentance, though, Jesus' ongoing work of atoning for our sins, it just breaks down and we get polluted with darkness. And our lives begin to take on um, the the character of the darkness that we left when we came to follow him. Not confessing sin is kind of like never washing the bathtub. And, you know, it's like it's taking a bath in a dirty tub, and you, you don't get clean, and as the water gets darker, you always leave, you, your lives get dirtier, right? I mean, there is no, there is no cleansing. There's, there is this pollution. Now, the fact is that through, a, through a, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to him by faith, we are placed in his family, we are sealed by the Spirit, and we're not going to lose that connection with him. However, we can very quickly lose the experience of it. We can very quickly allow our lives to get polluted in such a way that we don't experience this new life in Christ and we don't reflect it to people outside of us. And so walking in the light is demonstrated by confessing sin and abandoning it, which links us to God's mercy. So it's always putting us back in the right posture to receive from God. First John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so God's justice demanded that there had to be a covering for our sin and the Lord Jesus, tri- Lord Jesus Christ, he provided that for us and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. And then going into chapter two, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is offered to everyone. God is just, but his, and his mercy is underwritten by Jesus' atoning sacrifice. Forgiveness cancels our debts, and it dismisses the charges against us. And the truth is in him, not in us. And so we need to be in him for the truth to be in us verse three. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. It couldn't be more clear. So if we say that we know the Lord Jesus Christ, then that means that there's there's an obedience that is evident within our lives. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That identifies that we are authentic, (laughs) that our Christianity, that our relationship is something that is, is real. It's reflected in transformed behavior and as we walk in the light of God's love, not in the darkness that we've left, finally. Transformed beliefs, behavior, and also transformed relationships and this is something that David is going to explore much more deeply next week as we get into the text again and talk about um, the, the mark of a Christian being love. <coughs> Excuse me. But here's the social test. First John 2.9, anyone who claims to be in the light and hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Another either or proposition. You can make this claim, but if, you're, if you hate someone, if you're, if you're harboring anger and resentment, well then you're not authentic. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And so walking in light, walking in light means walking in love. A genuine faith is seen in being rightly related to God and others, that should be evident in our lives. It doesn't mean that we won't have issues in relationships. The question is what we do with those. If we have an issue with someone, even within this church family, you know, do we just sort of like, all right, that kind of bugs me. That really bugs me. I don't really want to be with that person. I'll sit on the other side of the auditorium, and I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll act like everything's fine, but I don't really want to deal with it because I don't value them enough to actually deal with it. And so we walk in darkness. I mean, that's, that's a way for us to just sort of dim our perception, not only of how God works in our lives, but also of that person. Love and hatred are in opposition to each other. It is one or the other, and so a lukewarm love, just a sort of kind of love, is not walking in light. It's, we're in darkness. The light shines on the path so we can see clearly where to walk. Hatred distorts our perspective. It blinds our perceptions. We misjudge people. We fail to see them in the way that God sees them. Love sees straight. Love thinks clearly. It balances our experiences and outlook with the light of God's love for us um love puts us in that positive posture toward other people and toward life itself okay closing I hope you'll place that hundred dollar bill in your wallet as a reminder of the importance of authenticity I also hope you won't pull it out and try to pay for something with it by mistake Um, we live in a world that says you know what I love Jesus What I hear about Jesus I love him but I don't like his followers They turn me off. I don't want to be a part of that. And the problem is that many of us live untransformed lives. And yet, say that we are followers of the Lord Jesus, but our behavior, sometimes our beliefs and our love doesn't really reflect that. Muddled beliefs, unexamined hearts, and harbored anger and resentment toward others confuse the issue. So we're like counterfeit bills that promise one thing and deliver nothing. So 1 John reveals the riches Christ has vested in each one of us and the power of Christ's life and sacrifice to transform others. May we learn from this book, how to live an authentic Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the clarity of this. We're thankful for John's direct nature as he has presented this and it's very clear. And so we have decisions to make. And Father, I pray that we would trust you, and we would love you enough to get in a posture of reflection and to evaluate our lives, to look into our hearts. God, not just to keep running headlong into the day and just with all the different things, lots of good things in this world, but Father, may we take that time to humble ourself, to con- to identify our sin, to confess it to you, to experience the exhilaration of forgiveness again Father, so that we can walk in light and walk in love. We're grateful, Father, that your spirit empowers us to live this life. May we open ourselves, release ourselves to the power of the spirit as it flows through our life. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.